0: This morning we asked the question, what is the time? From Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. As you probably look around in our world, there are, particularly in this type of society that we live in, there are a myriad of things that are offered to us each and every single day, promising to help us, enable us to to find the secret of successful living. If we just have that, then we will be happy. If we just go there, then we will be happy. If we are with that person, then we would be happy. If I pay off that, then I would be happy. So it could be a new home, a car, a holiday, or even the the latest phone. And all of this is evidence of the universal search for satisfaction and the enjoyment of life. In the American Constitution they actually have that happiness is a right. I don't know about that one. Billions of dollars are spent every day on this quest. And that is the very quest that the book of Ecclesiastes tells us about. It tells us about the greatest experiment ever performed in the history of mankind to test the various approaches to success, to pleasure, to enjoyment or contentment written 3,000 years ago. It is written by someone who was once the wisest, the richest, most powerful man that the world had ever known. That was King Solomon. Now the third chapter of Ecclesiastes is about time. And here Solomon describes the combination of opposites in life. And throughout this chapter the idea is that there is an appropriate time for all of life's experiences. Specifically it's a it's about the way that time controls our lives and the events that make up our, our world. Each comes at its proper time, and not one of them is avoidable in this world. And as Solomon as King Solomon pondered on meaning and significance, some things become very apparent in light of the realities that are are mentioned here. There are three things, I think, that that we could, in order for us to understand the, the book. The first one is the limit of freedom. If everything is part of God's plan and has its right time, I must not be as free as I thought I was. The Sovereign Lord, who is much larger than me, is really calling the shots. The things that will cause me to laugh or cry, to go to war or to stay at home at peace, are in the end beyond my controllable circumstances. God is in control and he's a, he has a time and a purpose for everything. Now this sounds like fatalism, but it is not. It does not take away our freedom or responsibility or, in the end, accountability. Secondly, there is a limit of things. This, this is the second troubling thought that, that everything has a use by date. And of course, this is, we were not created like this. When God created the world, everything was eternal. But sin marred that. Death entered the world. So from that moment on, everything had a use by date. Because it was one way of limiting the spread of sin. We cannot have sinful man living forever. Imagine Hitler still alive today, and many probably think he still is, right? And so is Elvis. Um, Imagine if despots continue to live forever. So nothing you and I do or have is permanent. The wrong conclusion would be that we should not build up because everything in its time will be torn down anyway, so don't even try. Why strive for peace when the next war is just around the corner? Why be born if we will only die? But that is the wrong conclusion for the child of God. As we will see next week, God has made everything appropriate in its time. Thirdly, the limit of time. We don't have all the time in the world because, as I said before, we are mortal beings. But the eternal God controls time and and time is, is like this conveyor belt that It just goes in one direction. It does not reverse. There is no time travel. Okay, I know. Okay. But just believe me, there isn't. God controls time and he stepped from eternity. He stepped in our time 2,000 years ago. And we call that the incarnation. It's an an amazing event. When you think about it. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And he came to show us the way to live. There's a line from um, the Fellowship of the Ring where J.R. Tolkien who was a believer, he was the author. He put these words in Gandalf's lips. This is what he said. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. So let, let's look at the overall theme here. Verse 1 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under, under the heavens. The words time and season are not long periods of time, but a time where joy or peace or building up, uh, you know, the, where they settle in, they're not periods where they settle in and stay for good. Rather, it's about points in time or periods of time that come quickly then pass just as quickly. Solomon is telling us that life is full of changes and sorrows as well as continuity and joy. And as the expression in the the old King James Version says, there's this expression, it says, it shall come to pass. you remember that? It shall come to pass. So depending on how you look at it, this is both good and bad. The bad news is that no good thing will last forever in this life. But the good news is that no bad thing will last forever either. Each one has its own appointed time. My mother, who we buried this week, she was a, a faithful Christian, a follower of Jesus for all of her days and uh, she was quite a philosopher. You didn't know that but she, this was highlighted in the in the funeral and she She summed this up quite well in one of her many expressions. She said, you laugh, you laugh, you cry, you cry, you die, you die. (laughs) Solomon Solomon followed this general statement in verse 1 with uh, a poem of 14 opposites each of which happens in its own time. And the fact that Solomon uses polar opposites in a multiple of seven, seven and seven, and the fact that he begins with life and death is very significant. Now, in the Bible, the number seven is, is a perfect number and suggests completeness. And, and the, the use of the, the opposites suggests uh, totality beginning and end. Perhaps the exact meaning and interpretation of a lot of these statements, these 14 statements, is, is will need probably a sermon. Each one will need a sermon on its own. But today what we're going to do is just skim across the surface and bring some applications from the rest of Scripture, from the rest of the body of Scripture. Verse 2, we start with birth and death. Today, with the advance of science, we think that with abortion, birth control, IVF, euthanasia, we are in control of life and death. The Bible says otherwise. In the words of King David, Solomon's father, King David said, All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Psalm 139 verse 16 So birth and death are not human accidents they are divine appointments for God is ultimately in control a famous comedian once said no man goes before his time unless the boss leaves early And now, if you work at home, you don't and the boss goes offline, okay? That was spoken by Groucho Marx. We'll go to planting and plucking. A successful farmer knows that he has to work with nature. Nature will work for him if he works with nature. Understand the times, the seasons, the rain, the droughts what the soil needs. This is also a secret for a, a successful life. Learn God's principles and cooperate with them. Don't fight them. The Bible is full of God's principles. Read Proverbs, the Book of Wisdom, and the rest of Scripture. Just as a farmer has an appointed time for planting his or her crops a time that he can be assured of the best results, so also there is an appointed time for each of us to come into the world and God holds the key to that appointed season. For every Christian, the promise is, Psalm 126 verse 5, one of the great verses in Scripture, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The Sowing and the reaping. killing and healing, verse 3. Let's remember that capital punishment goes back all the way to the, to the Old Testament. It was a way of limiting evil from spreading into the community. So Solomon could be speaking here uh, about killing to enforce a judgment or it can also be an act of self defense. One thing is sure, that the author is reflecting on this reality of life. Some people do get sick and they die, while others are healed and they live on. But eventually we will all die. One such instance, I think, comes from 1 Samuel 2.6, which says, The Lord kills... And brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. God allows some to die while others are healed. And this is a struggle for us. Many times we do pray for healing. But in the situation of my father and my mother, just in the period of about three and a half months, one followed each other very closely I was actually praying for the, seeing their suffering, I was praying for the Lord to take them home. I knew where they were going. I wanted desperately to see the end of suffering for somebody you love so much. Now this does not imply that we should refuse appropriate medical help. Because God can use both. God can use doctors and specialists in order to bring healing to accomplish his purposes but ultimately only God is in control there's also the building and tearing down in verse 3 solomon's talks about there's a time to break down and there's a time to build up it refers to the process of destruction and reconstruction he was, of course, Solomon was the one who built the greatest temple, the first temple. David could not build it because he was a man of war and the, the promise fell on the sun and he did a, an amazing job. So he was a not only the temple, but he built so many things. And as a master builder and developer of ancient architectural wonders, Solomon would have been well acquainted with the need to tear down and remove the old and then build something new in its place. Now, in a spiritual sense, believers experience seasons of breaking down, breaking down the old way of life, old practices, sinful behaviours, Unless you you put those to death, that's the biblical language, put those things to death, then God cannot start the rebuilding process unless those things are buried. And then the promise comes in the book of 1 Peter. The apostle Peter describes this process and he says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual life temple. It's a wonderful description, isn't it, of what God is doing with us. In verse 4, we have the weeping and the laughing. We know all about feelings of disappointment, of loss, rejection. They are inevitable. More than once, Jesus himself was overcome with sorrow to the point of weeping. And King David acknowledged that in Psalm 30 verse 5. He acknowledged that weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I don't know about you guys, but uh, sometimes, that's well, for the last few months, you wake up at night and you just can't go back to bed because all these memories just start flooding you and, and... I should have done this, I should have done that. You, you go and replay the tape, right? And then, in God's grace, you wake up in the morning and say, Yeah, thank you, Lord, for the gift of life. Rejoicing comes in the morning. Some people, the other hand of that is that some people think it's difficult for the Christian to be happy, to laugh, to rejoice. To look at the uh, the funny side of life. My my mother was very good at that. My dad not so much, but my mother could could see the the contradictions and make fun of them. I, if you were there at the funeral, you I told a couple. But I, so I think well somebody wrote this. It's not my original thought, but somebody wrote said, and they said they uh, said. God writes a lot of comedy, it's just that he has so many bad actors. <laughs> I think it's true, right? You know, I spent some time in Africa and just looking at some of the wonderful animals that God created and I said, man, when he was designing the giraffe, he must have had a lot of fun, I said. <laughs> right? And, and, so, and so many others, right? I said, Wow. Why? I said, well, because I, you know, I want to have fun too, right? And then there's mourning and dancing, verse 4. Solomon contrasts, he's contrasting a funeral gathering with with a feast, such as a wedding. The seasons of mourning... They serve their purpose. They remind us of our need to put our faith and hope in God. The the season of mourning has to, it, it feeds this this longing that our hope is not in this life. That our permanent home is somewhere else. Don't get too used to here. It has to shake us, right? Don't get too comfortable here. This is, this is only temporary. This is the tent that we're living in. And every pain, every hurt, every visit to the doctors are a reminder that the end is just around the corner. And at a funeral, we are forced to confront the inevitable fate of all of humanity that we're destined to die. But the child of God knows that he will rise again with Christ. Both believers and unbelievers will live eternally. The question you need to resolve is destination. In real estate, what is the, what is the rule? Position, 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 they say. It's the same with the spiritual life. Where do you want to spend eternity? Heaven or hell? And it is through Christ that heaven is open for us. The grave is not the end. It's... And don't. You don't need to go to hell. That's the reality. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection. And so the child of God knows that we will rise again. Like the psalmist he said, you have turned my mournful my mourning, you have turned my morning into joyful dancing. So Baptists get excited every time they hear the word dancing I'm sure. Verse 5, um, casting stones and gathering stones. One of the things that when I visited Israel a few years ago, one of the things I noticed and those are there are some of you here who have been to Israel, you would have noticed that there are rocks everywhere. You, you trip over, they're absolutely everywhere. It's a very rocky place. And, and farmers, if they're going to plant anything, they, they have to clear the fields before they can plough and plant those. So they, they are forever gathering rocks. So if you wanted to spoil your neighbour's progress you go and dump a whole heap of rocks on, on his patch, if you want to spoil it. And also, the good thing is that because of, they had so many rocks, people gathered the stones for building walls and houses, for building hedges and around their, their property. There's material everywhere. So in that sense, stones are, are, are neither good or bad. It all depends on what you do with them. So we could also say that if your enemy fills your land with rocks, don't throw them back. Build something out of them. Now you can, that's a spiritual application right there. Embracing and a time to refrain from embracing verse five. The, the word for embracing the original Hebrew means to grasp or hold something or someone tightly in your arms, usually with with fondness. So this could include friendships, family interactions, and intimacy between husbands and wives. Now People in the Middle East uh, openly Show their, their affection with kissing and hugging when they when they meet and when they say goodbye. It's it's the warm, strong embrace. Now some of us are huggers and others are not. Let me just say that Ted is a hugger. Okay. <laughs> if you want to be slapped by Ted, just try and hug him. Okay. <laughs> is that <rubber? laughs> Some of us, you know, God has made us differently, okay? And that's there is a time to hug and a time to refrain from hugging. Ted applies the second part. <laughs> but it could also be, be paraphrased as there is a time to say hello and there is a time to say goodbye, right? There's also the searching and the losing, verse 6. Indeed, there are times to seek, but there are also times to give up and acknowledge that it is lost. So we must remember that in everything, we, we need to hold these things very loosely. With, we can't hold on to them very tightly. The follower of Christ will give up his search for anything and everything that might distract him from the real treasure that God has prepared for us. And, and when we think of this life and the material possessions that we're desperately trying to hold on to, whether it's your bank account or that beautiful expensive crystal or that gold and the jewellery or the shares or whatever it might be, that's what he's talking about here. That we have to remember Jesus' challenge, Matthew 10 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In the end, the most valuable thing that you and I possess is our soul. And that is why Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again to give us a hope in a future. Because everything we have here. Well, ultimately, you you, yourself, whether you're cremated or whether you're buried, you're going to have to fit into this box about so big, right? That's it. That's where all your possessions are going to be fitting in. And you you know that in life there is a time when you accumulate and there is a time when it starts to go the other way. You're getting rid of. Search. You build and then you lose and let go. It's a sobering thought. Which leads to the next one, which is the keeping and the throwing. Uh, so, this passage seems to give support to garage sales and swap meets, where one man's rubbish is another man's treasure, right? Scripture tells us that nothing in this life is ours to keep forever. In fact, whether it's a treasure or a rubbish, we will have to let go of both of them. In 1 Timothy 6-7, the Apostle Paul reminded Timothy, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Let's live our lives with that, with this eternal perspective in mind, Always. There's the tearing and the mending in verse 7. In ancient times, if a person received terrible news, the custom was to, to rip your clothes, to rend your, your garment in an expression of intense grief. So, for example, when King David heard the news of his son, Absalom, his rebellious son, Absalom, mind you, that he died, it says here in 2 Samuel 13, 31, that he arose, he tore his garments and lay on the earth. And all his servants who were standing by, they also tore their garments. Now, garments were very expensive things. A lot of people only wore one garment for most of their life. This is why they, when Jesus died, they cast lots because it was actually a very expensive thing to wear, to have. So, it was customary in, in, in tragedy, in deep mourning, to, to tear your garments but after the morning is finished, you will get the needle and sew it back together to patch it up. When it applies to relationships, there are times when relationships must be broken, and there are times when we must get out the symbolic needle and thread to patch things up. some relationships are toxic or sinful or destroying you need to tear them up when we try and live in peace with everybody but you know it's not possible that's it you move on but there's also the times when led by God we want to patch things up In verse 7 there is silence and speaking There's a theme that is often dealt in scripture. It's the wisdom of knowing when to speak and when to shut up. In in the wisdom literature, the the fool is portrayed as one who talks too much and always at the wrong time. But the wise person knows when to be silent and when to speak. In, In Proverbs 18, verses 67, it says, The lips of the fool's... Brings them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Now Jesus taught us about the wisdom in keeping silent when he was in front of of Pilate, wasn't he? But there are times when God's people have to speak, and they have to speak up. When the Jews faced a national annihilation. There was a brave Queen Esther right there who recognised her appointed purpose and time. It was time to speak up and defend her people. The time was then. The Bible commands us to speak up against injustice. Also, believers are not to keep silent about their faith in Jesus Christ. We are approaching a time when we will have to speak up. Very important issues that we are facing as a nation, as a people. The greatest news is the news of the gospel. We can never be shut out of that one, right? We have to tell others. Verse 8, loving and hating. Should Christians ever hate? I had an Old Testament lecturer who said, no, Christians should never hate. Well, the Bible mentions several things God hates and therefore believers should also hate. Jeremiah speaks of God's hatred of idolatry. In in Proverbs, Solomon tells us, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. While there are times when hatred is appropriate, love should also be the defining characteristic of true believers. What did Jesus tell us? A new commandment I give to you, to love one another. As I have loved you, so also you must love one another. And by this Will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another? Peace and war. And this is the last one of the 14. In ancient times, soldiers went to battle only at specific times of the year. For example, people didn't generally wage a war during harvest season. Today, nations go to war only in response to certain situations, unless, of course, you are Putin. But if somebody invades your land, you have to stand up, right? You have to defend yourself. If your family, friends, your nation, and then, War is part of the reality of living in a fallen world. Evil people such as Hitler and Mao and Pol Pot and the list goes on make going to war and the latest one, Putin it makes going to war unavoidable and necessary to to prevent even greater atrocities from being committed. You can't just have peace at any cost at what, because there's always somebody who will be paying the price. And Jesus said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And all these things, all these are the beginning of birth pains. Yes, Isaiah chapter 9, coming up to Christmas, we will be speaking of this, that the Lord is the Prince of Peace. And ultimately, there will come a day upon his return when wars will cease on the earth. Let us conclude Because of the fall, it appears that things are out of control, right? But let's be assured that everything is safe in God's hands. God has not left his throne, still on it. And and if we do find ourselves in an undesirable season, a time of dying and weeping and mourning and losing, or throwing away and war, as believers we stand firm upon the promise that God will bring about an end to that season, either in this life or certainly by the time we die. It will be the end. Any pain is only limited to this season, this season of life. And yes, he is more than capable of Bringing us into a season of healing, of laughing and dancing, of building and keeping in a time of peace. That is his gift as well. And there is a time for everything and there is a season for every activity under heaven. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen.